Welcome to the Ruby Book Club podcast, where we read an hour of a Ruby book each week and dissect it with you. I'm Saran, developer and founder of Code Newbie. I'm Nadia, developer and director at Ignition Works. So we're continuing with chapter one of Ruby Under a Microscope by Pat Shaughnessy. We're going to be discussing pages 9 through 26. We're going to look a bit more at tokenization using Ripper before we move on to parsing. And remember that you can follow us on Twitter at Ruby Book Club. And if you're reading along and you're on Twitter, tweet at us and let us know what you think of the book so far. We'd love to hear from you. How did you find the reading, Saron? Okay, so remember how last week we were talking about how we can't we can't definitively say that we're going to like the book because it was too early? I I love the book. I'm just going to say it. Yeah. I just I really, really like it. It continues to be what I hoped it was going to be and what I thought it was going to be. Uh, I really liked it. Like, we're really, we're really deep diving, you know? And I remember when we first uh, decided to do this book, one thing that you said was how excited you were about the diagrams and the visuals. And those have really come in handy. Like, there's been a couple points already where I'm like, oh, I'm so glad I can see this. And, you know, it's so much easier with pictures. And it's just been really good. It's been a, a really good reading week. What about you? Yeah, I agree. And um, this morning I was listening to a, a Code Newbie episode, <gasps> the one with um, Safia on open source. And there's a bit where you're both talking at the end about how it's good for developers to try different things and look at things in a different way. So you talk about how you're learning R on your Coursera course. And Safia says, oh, that's good because, you know, as developers, we have specialisms, but it's always good to use your brain in different ways. And when reading this book, I feel like it's still Ruby. So it's still related to what my like specialism is, but it's like using different parts of my brain and trying like looking at things in a different way. And I'm really enjoying that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Because we're not really focused on writing clean code and, you know, making sure things are really great for other contributors. It's really just the internals. It's a different side of Ruby that in our day-to-day, -day, we generally don't have a big reason to look into. So this this book is a really great excuse to do that. So shall we crack on? Let's do it. So last week, we finished off by looking at the basics of how tokenization works. And so we're picking up on page nine with our first experiment. So experiment 1.1, using Ripper to tokenize different Ruby scripts. So Ripper is a tool that comes built into Ruby um, and it makes it easy to see what tokens Ruby creates when you pass it Ruby code. So we work through an example here and I actually played around with this on my terminal that was fun you're such a good ruby book club <laughs> reader you're so good you're so good thank you so what we do is we if and you should try this yourselves if you've got a terminal near you to get an irb terminal up uh require ripper and then require pp so we can pretty print things and then we make a multi-line variable called code and we pass in the code that we discussed in the last episode so 10 dot times do n puts n end um, and then we do pp ripper.lex passing in code as the argument and so when you run that what you see is a breakdown of the code in token format so you get um, an array a two length array which contains the line number of the bit of code in question and then the column so for example if it's the very first character it will be column zero then you have a symbol which represents what the token it is. So for example, we discussed things called um, uh, t-identifier last week. And so in this, in Ripper, it shows a symbol on underscore ident. 
And then we have the the characters in question. So for example, we can have an array which has one comma three. So it's the first line, the third column, and then comma symbol on ident. So it's an identifier token and then comma and then uh, the string times. So that's how that's the token that relates to times in 10 dot times do n. So that was neat. That was beautiful. What my explanation? Yes, that was a beautiful, beautiful explanation. Thank you. You are very welcome. So with Ripper, one thing that's really important and really interesting to note is that Ripper isn't actually evaluating if your code is valid. So you can do something totally wrong, totally off, and it'll still tokenize it just fine. So there's another example listing 1-10 where we have the same code, but instead of 10 times do pipe and pipe, there's a missing pipe at the end. And if we use Ripper, we see that it still deals with it just fine. It just kind of skips the fact that there isn't a pipe and moves on to the next line, no problem. So Ripper doesn't actually detect syntax errors. That's a different part of the process, which moves us to step two, which is parsing. So parsing is how Ruby actually understands your code. And the idea with parsing is that we take these tokens and we group them into what we could think of as sentences or phrases that Ruby can actually understand. And so the important part here is we need a parser generator. And this generator takes a bunch of rules that we've already determined, a bunch of grammar rules we've determined, takes that input, and the idea is to figure out what the pattern is, what grammar rule the tokens we give it, what it matches. Uh, and that's what helps us actually understand what we're doing. And that's where the syntax uh, comes in and where it's actually important that what we write makes sense. So there are a few different players, a few different tools involved in the parsing stage. So the first thing that we need is a parser generator. And that parser generator takes a bunch of grammar rules as the input. And the idea is that it helps us, it helps us create the parser, which is the thing that we're going to use to see if the input, the Ruby code that we've given it matches the grammar rules that we have already defined. So a very common and widely known parser generator is YAC, which stands for yet another compiler compiler because programmers are super creative. And <laughs> Ruby uses a newer version of that called bison. And what I love about this book is when we talked about it being very visual and very graphic, mm -hmm. there's actually a picture of a bison, yes. which is helpful, which is gonna help me remember this. So with bison, we have two files that we're going to deal with. One is parse.c, which is the actual parser code. And then we have parse.y, which is the grammar rule file. So with these two together, we'll be able to figure out if the tokenized Ruby that we're dealing with is actually syntactically correct and if it's good Ruby and what we should do with it. Yes, and although we're talking about the tokenization and parsing processes as if they happen one after the other, it actually says here that they happen at the same time, but obviously that would be quite tricky to explain. Yes, yes. Okay, so now we're gonna look a bit more closely at the pass algorithm. And when I first read this, I thought it was called the liar pass algorithm. <laughs> I I was like, oh. But then I realized it's actually L-A-L-R, mm -hmm. the look Lala. ahead. <laughs> Lala. <laughs> the look ahead, left reversed, right most derivation. Oh, amazing. <laughs> Beautiful. So we use the Lala 
Lala, shall, shall we say Lala or shall I say L-A-L-A? I think, I think, you know, we're very known to create our own rules mm-hmm. on this show. Lala. Um, so Lala, I think is uh, the right way. Oh, I love how you said it in an American way. Lala. Lala. <laughs> I'll say Lala. And you can say Lala. <laughs> so we use the Lala algorithm to um, take the, it takes the token stream from left to right and it tries to work out what's going on. Now, help me out here, Saron. In terms of like pass.c, pass.y, bison, and lala, how, do, how does lala fit into those three things? Oh, that's a really good question. Um, I don't know if I actually thought that part through. I assumed that was part of the parse.c file. Is yeah, I think what you're I right. Thought, mm. Right? Yeah, because that's the thing that's mm-hmm. actually determining, determining the instructions of how to match the input with the grammar file, which is the parse.y. Yes, and I guess somehow it's Bison. There's something within Bison that helps implement that algorithm within Pass.C, right? Because, I think so, yeah. Because yeah. it, it, the way I understood it, and I'm trying to see if there's a place here that explicitly says it. The way I understood it was it's almost like you're running the parser code, like you're running the parse.c like command, like mm-hmm. a command in there to run that file, and then the arguments for that are the parse.y and the Ruby code or the tokenized Ruby code that we're dealing with. So I, right. And so I, and the parse.c I believe is part of the, so it's interesting. Parse.c isn't, it's not bison. It's the thing generated by bison. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So now we have a great example using Spanish to help show how the Mm -hmm. Lala algorithm works. So we're given an example of what a grammar rule may look like using a Spanish phrase. So we have example 1.12 and we have Spanish phrase in camel case, a colon, and then it says me gusta el ruby. Oh, apologize for my Spanish accent. <laughs> and then there's... That was terrible. Nani, I'm sorry. El- that was terrible. I just, <laughs> I have to tell you that. Please, please, please say that one again. Okay, can I try again? Me yes, gusta el ruby. Much better. Much okay, better. thank you. So we have Magusta El Ruby, and then we have an open curly bracket. So it's like a function. And inside this function, we've got printf, and then open brackets, quotes, I like Ruby, backslash N, close quotes, close brackets, semicolon. So it's like a, a function that you'd get in, I don't know, JavaScript or something like that. And and so what this rule says is, if the token stream is equal to meh, Gusta, L, and Ruby in that order, then we have a match, and the function says print I like Ruby. Mm-hmm. So, what this means is if this phrase was passed through the parser, you'd get four tokens for each of the Spanish words, and that would match to the Spanish phrase grammar rule. Mm-hmm. So, now we take this one step further. We say, what happens if we have two phrases? Me gusta el ruby and le gusta el ruby. Oh my god, I <laughs> too much Spanish. <laughs> I'm sorry. Too much Spanish for one show. I'm sorry for anyone listening to this who's like, my accent's like awful. Anyway, so so le it means could mean she, he, or it likes ruby. And so therefore, we have a new grammar file and we go from one grammar rule to four in example in example 1.13. So the first one is Spanish phrase. And this time, the first um, part of the sentence after the colon says verb and object in camel case, then L Ruby. And then inside the function, we have print F. And then the string says percent S, 
Ruby, uh, then the new line and close the string, and then we pass in dollar one. So that's the argument that's interpolated four percent s. Then we have another rule called verb and object colon. She likes in camel case, and then a pipe. I like, and the body of that function says dollar dollar equals dollar one. And then we have she likes colon, and that says legusta. And the body of that says dollar dollar equals she likes. And then we have a fourth rule I like colon megasta, and the body of that says dollar dollar equals I like. So can I tell you that the first time I saw this, I thought, oh my god, that's not how I remember Ruby looking like because because it, it's a Ruby <laughs> book, and whenever we look at code in Ruby book, I'm expecting Ruby, and so I was like, oh my god, do I not know Ruby? I was so afraid. Uh, and then a little bit later, I think it's. Like the, the couple sentences right below listing 1-13, it talks about how we're using the Bison directive and this is what it looks like. And I thought, oh, right, this isn't Ruby. We're talking about how we read Ruby. So this isn't Ruby itself yet. And it made me feel better. Yeah. You know, it's not like, it's interesting because I didn't go, oh, this isn't Ruby. But I also didn't go, oh, this is C or something. Yes. I just, yeah. I just kind of accepted it for what it was. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. So the first time, uh, the first time Pat showed it to us in the in the first example, the Magusta Ruby print F. I like Ruby, just the simple one. I thought, okay, that's fine. And then it wasn't until we started getting a little more complicated where I thought, wait a minute, I need to actually understand this. Do we use semicolons in Ruby? Like I, I kind of I panicked a little bit, but it's fine. Everything is good. We're good. So then the question becomes: Now that we have a more complex set of grammar rules here. We have four rules that we're talking about. How do we know, or how does the, the parser know which rule to match against? How does it know which token needs to be matched? How does it know, does it need to group tokens? Or there's kind of too much information at this point. It's no longer a direct match. So what do we do here? So this is where the Lawler uh, algorithm comes in. So it stands for look ahead LR parser. And we're gonna talk about the LR part. L stands for left, and it means that the parser moves from left to right while processing the token string. So in Le Gusta El Ruby, we are going from the left, starting with Le, then Gusta, then L, then Ruby, which is kind of what I assumed, you know, and it's nice that, that um, mm -hmm. you know, that's how English works as well, so it makes <laughs> things a, a little bit easier. Uh, and then the R stands for reversed rightmost derivation, which means that the parser takes a bottom-up strategy using a shift-reduce technique to find matching grammar rules. So the way this works, and, and I love these diagrams so much, so what we've done here is we have our tokens on the right, and then Pat has designated a little box that says grammar rule stack. And so the idea is we're gonna move through the tokens, and as we encounter one and, I guess, parse it and figure out what to do with it, we're gonna move it over to our grammar rule stack. So the first token that we're gonna deal with is the le, and so we're moving that over to our grammar rule stack. And it's interesting because this is the part where I'm not sure how I feel about it because we, we kind of say the whole rule stack thing is a little more complicated than we're going to get into. So it's, it's a little hand wavy at this part. I think it's a good thing it's hand wavy because I think it would have been just too much information for me to process, you know, at one time. But it did make me go, oh, I wish there was a, like a sidebar on it or something because I, I was curious about how the stack actually works. So as our parser moves the tokens into the grammar rule stack, it keeps track of what grammar rule it has just parsed and basically how it has how it's processed that token. 
And so the parser, we could think of it as it having it using different states to keep track of what grammar rules it's matched and what tokens it's processed. Yes. So if we look at le, we move that over. The next token to parse is gusta. We're going to move that over too. And so at this point, we have two tokens left over we haven't parsed yet, L and Ruby. And then we have the two tokens that we've put in our grammar rule stack, which are le and gusta. So now that we have these two tokens on the left, what our parser is going to do is it's going to pause and try and find a grammar rule to match it with. And that is the operation that is called reduce. So we talk about the shift and reduce technique. This is what we're talking about. We're shifting it, we're moving it over to our grammar rule stack, and then we're matching it with the rule, which is the reduction part of things. So we're currently at the point where we've got Lay and Gusta in the grammar rule stack, and we've still got the L and Ruby tokens. And so at this point, the parser matches uh, the Lay Gusta with the rule she likes. And so this is the reduce phrase that we've just spoken about. And so that's like the first round of reduce that happens. And then the parser reduces again because it recognizes that there's another matching rule, which is verb and object. And the reason why verb and object matches is because the rule of verb and object says match she likes or I like. So now in our diagram, which is figure 1.20, we have grammar rule stack on the left with verb and object. And then we still got our two tokens, L and Ruby on the right. And so we may have some questions, which I did have some of these questions, such as mm -hmm. how does the parser know to reduce and not continue to shift tokens? Also, if there are many matching rules, how does the parser know which one to use? How does it decide whether to shift or reduce? And if it reduces, how does it decide which grammar rule to reduce with? So this was great because I was thinking, hey, I had all these questions and now you're going to answer them all for me. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so, so this is where the look ahead part of the Lala algorithm comes in. So what actually happens when we've got Le and Gusta in the grammar rule stack is that the algorithm looks ahead. So it looks ahead and it says what's coming up next and it sees L. At this point, the parser has a state table of all the various outcomes. So it's almost like if I see this, then I can do that. If I see this other thing, then I'll do that. And so it helps it decide what to do based on what it sees next. So in this case, we've got Leangusta. It looks at the next thing coming up, L, and it makes a decision that, no, I'm good with just Leangusta. And so we keep mm -hmm. that verb and object passing. So then we shift again. So this time we shift L into the grammar rule stack. So we've now got verb and object and then L. And then inside the tokens box, we have the single token left, which is Ruby. And then at this point, no, at this point, we have no rules that match just L on its own with verb and object. And so we shift in Ruby. And this time we match the Spanish phrase because we've got verb and object, then L and then Ruby. And so we've now shifted everything into the grammar rule stack and all everything matches. And it's interesting because I'm just recognizing now in the bison example, when we first introduced the um, the grammar rules, it talked about child and parent. And I was kind of wondering, mm -hmm. where does the child and parent come in and why does that matter? And that's what we basically played out. Like we started with the most, like the youngest child, <laughs> so to speak, <laughs> uh, and we've worked our way up, right? We started with she likes and the parent of that is verb and object. And then the parent of that is the... Um, what is it called, is the Spanish phrase. So we've like worked our way up from the bottom in that sense. Yes. 
And and I'm really excited about this example. One because I you know I know a little bit of Spanish, so I already knew what that meant. So that made it a lot easier. Um, the pronunciation but, was way better than mine. <laughs> <laughs> but it was also nice because with such a simple example, you get to really appreciate the process without having to worry about you know really complex rules or complex files or you know just syntax and things like that. So when you don't have to worry about it, you get to really appreciate the concept. But Pat is very clear to mention that. This is great, but this is a super, super, super simple example. And if we look at Ruby's grammar, it's actually very, very complex and, you know, quite large. Uh, it talks about how the generated state table in Parsi is very, very big. I can't remember how big it was, but I think it talked about having hundreds of rules at least. And so the good news is the only difference between the way that it actually works in Ruby and our Spanish example is just scale. You know, it's the same process, same steps. It's just a matter of scale. So we move into looking at how you would actually parse Ruby Ruby. And can I just say yeah. what you said mm -hmm. about the what was great about the Spanish example. Going into this Ruby example now, imagine if we just gone straight into that one. Oh my goodness! Like, yeah, yeah. I mean, it was already it's already daunting and a bit confusing anyway. But given the the Spanish example, it helped me just get a better sense of what was going on. Even if I didn't fully understand each line, I was like, mm -hmm. oh, this is this maps to this concept that we saw in the Spanish example. Yes, so I thought that was a really good primer. Mm-hmm, a hundred percent. Yeah, and that's one of the things I, I I'm really excited about with this book is it really starts super simple. It starts at a place that we can all you know agree on and understand, and very slowly, iteratively makes its way up to the real thing. So now we're at the the real thing. So now we look at some actual Ruby grammar rules. So we go back to the code that we've been talking about so far. Ten times do n puts an end, which is pretty simple. And we look at the grammar rules that would apply to that Ruby code. And so the grammar rules, and this is figure 1-26, the grammar rules that we talk about go program colon top underscore comp, I think it's short for statement, STMT. Mm -hmm. Then we have top underscore comp statement colon top statements opt terms. Then we have top statements colon dot 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 pipe top statement pipe dot 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 then we have top statement, colon, statement, pipe, dot, dot, dot. Then we have statement, colon, dot, 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 pipe, EXPR, which I think is short for expression. Then we have EXPR, colon, dot, 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 pipe, arg. Then we have arg, colon, dot, 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 pipe, primary. And then finally, we have primary, colon, dot, 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 pipe, method, call. And then brace, block, pipe, dot, dot, dot. So all the dot dot dots, I assume, are just saying there is other code here that is not quite relevant. Mm -hmm. But if we look at just the the rules that we've called out and that we've put on here, there's you know there's more than the three or four we had in the Spanish example. There's a couple, and if we look at the code, you know we have just a few yeah just a few lines, just three lines of code and a bunch of grammar rules that we have to go through. So we talk about the first rule, which is program colon top underscore comp STMT, which I assume stands for statement. And it says that this is the root grammar rule that matches every Ruby program in its entirety. And one thing that's not clear to me about how that first rule comes into play, and I assume it's part of the you know oversimplification, trying to focus on the concepts of things, um, is when does that rule kick in? You know, I can't tell from this mm. if it's 
you know, if it encounters the first line of Ruby, which is, you know, the the number one as part of the 10 times, and it looks at that and says, okay, you are now Ruby, or if it's looking at, I don't know, like the file name and sees the .rb extension, like, I'm, I'm not sure how that actually comes into play. Um, so that's one thing that I, I would have liked to have gone into detail about, or at least maybe seen a sidebar on it. But this might be mm-hmm. something that fell through the cracks because it's mm. such a big simplification. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, perhaps. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's what I'm thinking too. Next, we tackle the first part of the code, the Ruby code, which is 10 dot times. And so here it says that this encounters the grammar rule, which is method call colon dot 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 pipe primary value string period end of string operation two. That's one one. Uh, one word, pipe dot dot dot. Okay, so this is this is weird to me because so when we were doing the Spanish translation thing, right? We said we're gonna take this one word at a time. We're gonna look at the the me, and then we're gonna shift it. Then we're gonna evaluate it. We're gonna parse it, uh, which is the reduction part, right? And we're gonna keep going. And we started with the children, and then we worked our way up to like the the parent. With the Ruby code, I don't think the steps, I don't think these are steps. I don't think this is step one, look at 10 times, look at 10 dot times. Step two, look at 10. Step three, look at times. Like, I don't think that's what it's doing. I think it's just doing just general magic. I think it's saying if we take the first line, we would match it with the method call. But the method call is made up of two children rules, which is the primary value and the operation too. Now let's look at that. Like I think I think Pat is just walking us through the different places in which it matches. I don't think he's actually taking us through the process and how it happens. Ah, oh, that's a good point. That's like the only way this makes sense. You're gonna say at some point ten dot times matches method call. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I think okay. I think the part with the Spanish is designed to show us the how. I think this is showing us, you know, now that you understand the process, let's just like look at the rules and see where we use them and not really go through but how you it's think, done. Do you think the Spanish is more the process? It better be. Because <laughs> that, that's how we explained it, right? Like the whole... But you just think with this Ruby code, it would be too complex to apply that same process to... I don't know if it's about complexity. Um, maybe it's just a different focus. Like maybe here, instead of focusing on the how, we're focusing on what the grammar rules look like. Because that was that was kind of the transition that he gave us, right? He said... The only difference between the way the Spanish example works and the way Ruby grammar works is Ruby's very complex. It's the same steps as Ruby is very complex and has a lot of rules. So I think the focus of this is just showing us the different rules and how they link up mm-hmm. and not really showing us the the steps. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. Okay, Pat, if you're listening and that's wrong, please let us know. But that is that is what makes sense to me. So given that, uh, if we look at the first line of code, which is, or the first bit of Ruby code, which is 10 dot times, so that matches a grammar rule called method underscore call, which has primary value, which is another rule, and then the string period, and then another grammar rule called operation two. So if we break that down a little bit further, we can see that the number 10, which is part of the 10 dot times, that part matches the grammar rule called primary value. And primary value has something called primary. And then the primary grammar value, (laughs) grammar rule, has something called literal. And so as we can see, that parent-child, grandchild uh, relationship, you know, kind of whittling down to these very, very basic pieces that end up building up to a bigger grammar rule like method call. 
So if we look at the second part of that line, the times part, that matches the grammar rule called operation two, which includes another rule called identifier, uh, and I'm sure that calls some other things as well. So as we can see, there are all these little rules that together make up bigger rules and make even bigger rules that help us create the Ruby language. So then we look at one more bit of Ruby code, which is the do and put an end. And we can see that if we look at the grammar rules section, that first matches the brace block grammar rule. And that is made up of, so we've got brace block dot 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 pipe, keyword do grammar rule, opt block param grammar rule, which I'm guessing is the option block. Mm -hmm. um, and then we've got the comp statement grammar rule and then keyword end grammar rule dot 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 so we're obviously going to then go through the tree and look at all of those and we don't go into much detail on those but we have a bit of a breakdown of what each of those refer to so keyword do matches the do reserved keyword uh, opt block param matches the block parameter n comp statement matches the contents of the block uh, puts n and then keyword end matches the end reserved keyword. Mm -hmm. So I really did appreciate this breakdown of looking at the actual Ruby code. Yeah, yeah, me too. It was really helpful. And it's, it's, so, I mean, I, I'm assuming that this example was chosen because it was a little bit easier to read, but I was surprised at how, how not weird it was. <laughs> you know, like, for example, the number 10 being made of the grammar rule called primary value like that's sure that's not crazy like that i get mm -hmm. that and the primary value being made of something called primary and primary being made of something called literal like it's not you know i, I was kind of expecting the grammar rules to be super foreign really just nonsensical things um but i should have known better because we're working with ruby and ruby is pretty <laughs> uh, is pretty friendly so that's that was a huge relief yeah i remember when i first saw the grammar rules box the first one, I was like, hmm, this looks strange. But then I was like, don't be taunted. It's okay. Pat will explain everything. Mm -hmm. And then by the end, I I think I got the main thing that Pat wanted us to get out of this section. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, totally agree. So for me this week, I think I'm going to give the reading, uh, I'm trying to decide between a seven or an eight. Mm -hmm. um, and I think I'm going to go with a seven because I really, really did enjoy the reading. But there were still bits, there were quite a few bits where I had to go back and read again. And I don't know whether this is just my current frame of mind or whether or whether there was anything in the explanation itself. But I just felt like I had to go, I think it was me making it harder than it needed to be. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, so it wasn't as smooth flowing as I would have liked. But I don't think that's a flaw in the book. I think it was just how I experienced the reading today. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think this is one of those chapters that to me really emphasized the value of this Ruby book club that we created because, um, yeah, it's, you know, everything made perfect sense to me before we started talking about it. And then as I have to explain it for the show, I'm like, wait a minute, but wait, 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 wait a minute, what about this part and then this part? And then we talk things through and it, it one, surfaced a couple holes in my knowledge, but it also surfaced a couple of holes in the explanations as well, which, um, serve I think to simplify things and make it easier um, but I didn't recognize those holes until we talked about it so for me I think the score is probably also a seven um, and I thought it was very organized and very structured and, and really helped me get from one place to another but I think there were a couple details that would have helped me out a lot um, 
And with the Ruby code specifically, I would have loved to, even if it was just for the 10 dot times, if we had done a a process, like a step-by-step walkthrough similar to the Spanish one, I think that would have been really cool. So I'm going to give it a seven, uh, but overall, awesome reading so far. I agree. So we want to know, what did you think of the reading this week? Tweet us your score at Ruby Book Club and tell us how you plan to use the takeaways from this episode in your next project. See you next week. Cheerio. Cheerio.